Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. We're in the series, Public Land Mastery, answering the question, public land hunting, is it ruined? Today we're with Dr. Jeff Kelly, an uncommonly successful public land hunter, for part two of our talk to give specific examples of his failures and successes that point us toward the keys for new approaches for success in this ultra pressured landscape we find ourselves in on public land. As we start, I wanna challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you do that, here are the top look fors or things to look for during this episode. How did Jeff apply the persistence adaptability paradox to tag an Iowa whitetail on his last day of the hunt? Why can the last part of a hunt be the best, but only when what criteria are met? And how do you know when to stop scouting and start hunting to really up your odds on public land? And make sure to stay till the end for our high IQ challenge. And now, Let's get to the podcast and up your Deer IQ. All right, we're back here, Deer IQ with Jeff Kelly, the second uh, installment of our talk here. Uh, we had a great one, uh, the first episode. If you didn't listen to that, you want to go back and listen to that. But we talked about the Deer IQ test, so uh, it's something you can take uh, online. It's fun. It's simple. It's only ten questions, and Jeff did give the disclaimer. <laughs> that uh, you got to read the questions thoroughly, uh, but they are tough. If I took it, you know, I made it. So I, you know, really researched these questions and, or, you know, the answers and the multiple choice. But if I just took it from scratch, I probably would have got like a three out of 10, right? So, uh, so Jeff took it. He actually did pretty good knowing that a couple of the questions were tricky and he got a five out of 10, <laughs> but go ahead and take it. If you didn't, um, it doesn't reflect that you're a good or bad hunter. It's just kind of fun. And, uh, some of the questions are kind of tough and you'll see where you fall, but we want to jump back into public land hunting here with Jeff. And again, Jeff has done a ton of hunting all over the country. Uh, over the past 20 years in multiple states, he's had a high rate of success on just short trips, right? And so that's why I got him on the podcast. We're looking at what does it take to be a great deer hunter? And part of that is on public land. Uh, looking at is public land getting ruined? Uh, it's definitely becoming harder, but we talked about this in it's definitely not ruined. There's just new things you need to look at and different approaches, right? So we're going to dig into this episode looking at some specific stories of Jeff's hunts and what uh, made them uh, difficult and how he overcame some of those challenges and how you can maybe do the same thing because we all probably go through a lot of the same challenges and then some successes of his. So first question, Jeff, is is there a specific story or experience related to public land hunting where you failed or struggled? Um, and what vital lesson did you learn? I do have one hunt that kind of comes to mind. And in, uh, it, it was actually a, a combination 10-day trip um, between private land and public land. Um, so this was probably three or four years ago. It was the last time I actually drew a an archery tag in Iowa. Um, and 
I'd never hunted much private land, um, let alone an outfitter. Um, but after sitting on my, my four points and finally drawing um, a tag uh, for, for one of the better zones in, in southeast Iowa, um, I decided to actually try an outfitter for the first time. Now, granted, I had never really hunted with an outfitter. I've been public land hunting for, you know, probably 20 years at that, at that time. But um, with, with limited time um, and, and waiting four or five years for a tag, I decided to um, hunt with an outfitter. Um, long story short, um, I'm not cut out to hunt with outfitters. <laughs> um, and I don't have anything bad to say about the outfitter that I hunted with, but all the outfitters, they do have their rules where to hunt. Sometimes you are limited to their stands. Um, you may not be, um, able to scout at all. Um, all of which I've really become accustomed to over the years is, is, uh, you know, finding areas by myself. So the outfitter didn't work out for me. I had about 10 days. Um, I got to about day eight and again, not to the outfitter's fault. It was 70, 75, even 80 degrees during those seven, eight days. Deer were moving, but, um, but it was limited. I wasn't seeing good deer. I wanted to scout some of these parcels they had. They really frowned upon it. They didn't want me to move stand locations, even though I you know, I felt that there may have been some better opportunities. Um, so, um, it was, it was a big struggle. I, I had, I think one day left, um, before I had to get home. Um, I decided to pack some stuff up with the outfitter. I was going to go home. Um, but I decided, Hey, I've got one day. Um, we actually had a cold front coming in. Um, so, I wasn't going to miss out on that cold front. Even with one day, I hadn't scouted any public land. Um, I had hunted some areas in that, that part of Iowa before on public land. Um, so got up at three in the morning, hiked everything in, broke my bow sight going in, uh, <laughs> um, uh, as I, uh, going in, in the dark with all my gear actually end up falling, breaking my bow sight. That's a whole nother story. Um, but, I wanted one day in public land. Um, that was my best hunting day out of those 10 years. I actually shot the 18th buck I saw that wow. afternoon. Um, I passed up some, some bigger ones throughout the day, ended up shooting a big mature um, five, six-year-old eight-point. Wasn't a real big high-scoring deer, but it was a big mature deer. Um, so I think... I think the lesson learned with that is, is the persist persistency and not to give up, you know, cause sometimes weather does dictate when you're, when you take off that, that, uh, you know, 10 days or that week and you're locked in for months, you don't always have the, the flexibility of, of waiting on a cold front or, or waiting for the right winds or weather or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, but, not giving up. I mean, I, I thought about it I thought about, uh, you know, on day eight, nine, you know, I'm, I'm going home, but, but I didn't. So, and it, and it worked out for me. So, so it, that's a big jump. You know, you think about that. Um, I've never used an outfitter, but if I'm spending money to pay this person to, you know, help me basically in a state that I don't live in and 
that's a that's an investment and a commitment, right? So it's a big thing to step away from that and say, I'm going to try this on my own uh, in a spot I've never gone to before. So uh, what are the things that kind of brought you to that point? Was it just that, hey, this is not, you knew it wasn't going to happen on the, on the private? Or, or was it, again, the um, lack of being able to just dive into some things and that was probably the biggest thing is just, you know, you're limited and, um, you know, the, I wasn't, I guess, used to the limitations. I wasn't enjoying the hunt like I normally do. Um, and again, no fault to the outfitter. That's sometimes the, you know, how outfitting goes. And, um, the weather did play a big part that, that time also. I mean, if I would have had decent weather, you know, I may have, shot a giant Iowa buck. I mean, the, the, the terrain was there, the deer were there. Um, but it just, for me, um, I wasn't enjoying the hunt or the challenge like I was used to. So although I only had one day left, you know, and I knew it was going to be a tough day, um, you know, again, sometimes enjoying the, the misery and trying to get that reward is, is, um, you know, but it, it takes the right person who, who wants to do that too. So I went from an easy hunt that wasn't enjoyable to a very difficult hunt, but I felt like I was at least on my own doing, you know, doing my thing too. So, so you never set foot on that property. So how did that all play out? Did you, uh, takes into the details of that a little bit. So did you get on your phone and just start looking at different properties in the area? Yeah. I shouldn't say I hadn't hunted. I had hunted that area before. Okay. Um, and I had scouted it pretty heavily in, in the past. Um, so I, I knew there were good deer there. Um, I wasn't going in com- completely blind. Um, you know, I actually, um, I, I saw a, a really good, probably 160 class deer. Um, two minutes after daylight. Um, and I was seeing deer consistently that morning. Um, but they were all 80 yards away from me. <laughs> so it was, it was t- difficult because I knew I needed to make a, a stand location change. Um, but I was seeing deer every 10, 15, 20 minutes in, in good bucks. They were all 80 yards. So I finally decided at, midday to to go for it and make this stand change and and that's where adaptability i think comes in um i could have sat in that stand the rest of the day seen great deer and never had an opportunity so i actually tried to make a stand change midday that really good buck that i saw first thing in the morning i was halfway up with climbing sticks and he came by at 30 yards I was hugging the tree, bow on the ground, um, but I also, yeah, of course, yeah, I also knew I was going to be in the right spot if the deer, if there were more deer that day, so, um, you know, probably half hour, hour before dark, day 10, last day of the hunt, um, consistently seeing deer in that 80-yard range that I moved to, um, I ended up getting a 10-yard shot within the last hour of daylight and, and thankfully it was 10 yards because my sight wasn't working real good 
<laughs> um, I actually was fortunate. I had one one field point um, in my quiver, um, and I actually spent some time at almost first light trying to sight in my bow. Um, so it was shoot. Grab my arrow, shoot again. I got it pretty darn close, but I probably had to shoot eight, ten arrows at first light, which was a whole nother debacle. Um, but I got it close enough where I could make a ten yard shot when I needed to that that afternoon. So, so a lot of things came together there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we mentioned the you know the last podcast we talked the idea of persistence, you know, and I think it's interesting you mentioning that because. There is persistence there, but it's also persistence and adaptability. Yeah. And knowing when to adapt, right, as you are persistent. Um, and that is wisdom that comes, I, I don't know, I think that's through years of experience and knowing and uh, when to get aggressive and when when not to and things. So you knew your setup. So when you got into this this new spot... Um, you had never been into that particular spot before. I hadn't, you know, hunted that ridge per se, kind of winging it on my setup. I felt good about the area, but I knew I didn't have it dialed in. Um, you know, but again, that's where the adaptability comes in. Cause I could have easily sat there and, and maybe even killed a, a buck out of that stand. I mean, nobody likes to get up, move a stand midday, spend a, you know, 20, 30 minutes doing it, especially when you're seeing deer all day. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to bite the bullet and, 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 and do what you think is necessary. Even if you only have three, four hours of hunting left. Right. That buck, that 160 that caught you scaling the tree. If you were in the other spot, you, you probably would have just seen him unless you could have called him in. If I was in the other spot, um, he would have been that 80 yard range again. You know, I, I tried calling him in that morning and he did respond a little bit, but um, they were kind of all working the same area. There were a lot of does in the area too. Um, and they just, I just didn't feel comfortable that they were going to come within range of, of where I was at. Um, so sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta bite the bullet even when you, you don't want to. Um, you know, another instant that came to mind was again, a last day hunt in Kansas. Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com, and this is your High IQ Moment. Do you know how to find a sanctuary that holds bucks on public land? Well, one thing to try is to look for the right size spot bucks can hide and you can feasibly hunt them. There's no set rules with this, but I've had success looking for areas that are between 5 to 20 acres of dense cover. I've found too big an area can be difficult to predict movements of the deer within them and too small an area just won't hold more than one buck, decreasing your odds of catching a good one in daylight. So the first tip to finding a buck sanctuary on public land is to find the right size hiding place of 5 to 20 acres. Read the full article on all the keys to find buck sanctuaries linked below and download our free public land hunting guide filled with detailed new strategies to beat the crowds and still find success. They're both linked in our description. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, please consider liking, rating it if you're listening, and sharing it with a friend. It's your help that really helps this podcast and channel grow 
and it's greatly appreciated. And now, let's get back to the podcast. You know, another instant that came to mind was, again, a last day hunt in Kansas a couple years back. I was going into my last day, and I think it was, again, maybe like on day nine, um, didn't see the deer, didn't see, didn't see, didn't see the deer. And I had an idea, one more idea for my last day about hunting, um, this one other spot. So on my way out that night in the dark, I went and hung a stand, um, several hundred yards from where I had been hunting, um, made all kinds of noise, prime time right after dark. Again, not many options there. Um, hung that stand, you know, half hour, hour after dark, um, climbed in there the next morning, which was my last day and actually ended up harvesting a, a nice deer that, that morning. So again, putting in the, the time and, and being persistent, making that huge change the day before you're leaving um, you know, hanging a new stand when you got three more hours to hunt, but taking advantage of, of all the time you have. So, yeah. And I've, I've been in that situation before too, where you're, I hunt in Ohio, you know, it's out of state and you're like, well, I got a day left, you know? And so you're confronted with this thing of, you know, continuing to do what you're doing versus going through all the effort to make the change. And you're fighting all the stuff that everybody feels, right? The, you don't want to get up in the morning at that point in the year it's a grind you know and but at the same time it's just yeah being persistent enough that you will do anything it takes right up to the end you know and counting the cost you know of a move like that right you could have stayed and continued to watch deer and i think a lot of people they kind of kid themselves and i i think of I won't say any names here, but a couple examples of other people I've seen do this uh, that even put out videos about it where they're videoing all these nice deer, but they never seem to shoot them. And that's part of hunting. But at the same time, if you're hunting in a spot where all you're doing is watching deer, it can kind of feel like you're in the game. But are you really? Right. You know, like it, it's a game of yards, you know, and just a few yards can be the difference. And so what does it really take to get in the exact right spot? And it sounds like in your case, it was getting in an observation position that was close and then realizing if this isn't close enough, I got to do what I need to do, even if it takes busting that buck, which is what happened, right? Yeah. And being willing to give that up for higher odds bet that that's the place I need to be because right. that's what I've been seeing. And if I screw it up, I screw it up, but it puts you in that position and you still shot a nice buck. Um, and not getting hung up on the idea of what the bad things that could happen when you you kind of know that, well, I got to take a chance here and I'm, I'm going to yeah. do it and not not being passive about it, I think is a big... Yeah. Drastic changes are tough to make when you're at the end of your hunt. You know, you're you're tired, you've, you've been doing it, you're, you know, you're, you're almost, you know, sometimes ready to go home, you know, and, and when you have 24 hours left to make a big drastic change is, is not easy, but more often than that, it can be worth it too. So. Right. Cause if you think about it, you, that whole time you're gathering data, you're, you're getting smarter 
you're getting you're putting the pieces together more so really unless you're pressuring the deer which would decrease your chances but if you're hunting smart the further into the hunt you go all things being the same you should your odds should be going up you have you know more right uh that should be some of the best hunting is toward the end unless you've really messed it up you know yeah. um yeah, try, trying to dial it in along the way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have moved my stand 50 yards. Um, I mean, it happens so much. I mean, you know, that, you know, you're close, but you're just not there, you know. So, you know, and I've I've moved it 50 yards and then, oh, man, I need to move in another 30, you know. So you might move your stand three, four four times within a hundred yards until you dial it in. So that's exactly what you're saying about as you get towards your end of your hunt, you are getting more dialed in. You know, you've got a lot better chance on, I think, you know, as long as you, you don't screw it up, like you said, you know, sometimes on day seven, eight, nine, ten, then you do day one or two, you know, so. And a lot of times I've, I've talked about this a lot. I've got an article that I might link here, but just, uh, there's a difference between going with your what I call your gut. A lot of guys, you know, I just had a feeling, I have a gut feeling about being here, there, or they're hunting uh, versus just going off intel. Like you're gathering intel and you just lean on that more than feeling about where you're hunting. And yeah. the more the more you do that, the more you gather, the more the odds stack in your favor. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily will, but it's the odds are getting more and more in your favor to do that when you rely on that intel whether it be uh, your visual actually observations scouting stuff trail cam pictures all that telling you what to do versus you know just a generic feeling that you have and i've had several hunts where i felt like oh, i need to be over here on this property or whatever and i've had to like just say no to those feelings and be like okay what do you know yeah. what is the intel telling you and a few years ago uh i you know i had that same thing go on i said well no the intel is telling me the highest odds is to hunt this property sure down in ohio and that's where i shot my buck is because i feel i went with that you know and so just gathering much of that as you can and not being willing uh to give up till till the hunt's done yep intel and scouting that's i mean that's really that's really, I, th I think, I think that's where some people, you know, may, may, may make a mistake is, um, you know, they want to hunt when they get there on public land, you know, they get there, they have a good idea where they want to go. Um, they just set up and go. I, I rarely, I rarely hunt like that. I usually when, when I am set up, I have a reason to be there. Um, and it, it may take two or three days of scouting, um, you know, before I'm comfortable with an area to hunt. Um, but th that's how I approach it is I will typically not hunt an area until I'm pretty confident I'm in a good area. So, and then sometimes that takes two, three, four days of scouting before I say, aha, this, this could be it. So, Right. So, um, how long is your typical hunt when you go? I typically go around 10 days. Okay. So maybe up to like 
three or four. So almost half of that you're, you're scouting. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes if it's a new area, yes. Um, if it's an area I publicly and hunted in the past, then no, I mean, I, I, I do have areas where I can go hunt on the first day. Um, you know, but you know, for example, I, I hunted Wisconsin for the first time, um, a couple of years ago and I'd never hunted there. So I probably scouted 15 properties over three days and it was probably the 15th property I looked at that I said, all right, this is the spot, you know, and I'd spent three or four days. Um, but you know, sometimes it takes that much till you feel like, okay, um, you know, I'm going to be on a decent one in this area. It took me three or four days to find the deer I'm looking for, but now I know I just cut my my days of, of hunting, but I also have a lot better opportunity of seeing the deer I want to see. So I scouted three to four days on that hunt in Wisconsin. Um, I hunted one hour and, and happened to, you know, get lucky and kill that deer that I was hoping was going to be in there. So three or four days of scouting, but I felt real comfortable when I did actually climb into the stand that I was going to see a good one. And, you know, again, there's always luck involved, but I hunted an hour and, and killed a big mature Wisconsin deer the first hour I hunted. But yeah, I wouldn't call it luck so much, but I mean, there is a element of that because he didn't have to come through there. Right. But right, right. you had really good reason to know that, but it's, it's so counterintuitive. But if you really look at the guys that are successful consistently the most, like the top, I'd say top level hunters. They do that. They spend a lot less time hunting, and they just go in and get it done. Like it's a it's this strategic strike, yeah. You know, and they know what they're doing when they do it, and that's what scouting does. Now, when you do that, what is telling you, I guess, where you get to the point where like I found that spot. Like, what is it that kind of you're looking for, or tells you that? Yeah. Um... In that instance, actually, was um, was the sign I happened to find that that morning. Um, um, I happened to find just a giant set of tracks on the edge of a bedding area um, that were super super fresh. I knew they were within probably 12, 24 years or twenty four hours old. Um, so it was the sign that I found on the edge of a bedding area. Um, you know, so. And that was what I was looking for for three or four days. I saw a lot of other good sign, but nothing I knew that was that fresh. And also, it was probably the biggest track I saw in four days. Um, and I mean, the rubs were there, the scrapes were there too, but I knew it, I knew it was fresh. I I was really confident he was in there, um, or at least close to that bedding area. Um, I ended up setting up probably a hundred to 150 yards, um, of that bedding area. And half hour after I climbed in my tree, he came out of it. And, um, that one, I actually was fortunate enough to, um, to call in, um, from that 150 yards into about 20 yards. But I had a pretty good idea. There was a, a mature buck in there before I even set up. So and you hadn't damaged your bow sight. No, not that. No, I've only done that once. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a key one because I think a, a lot of times it's very easy to think you're hunting hot sign when you aren't. Yeah. yeah. Like you see rubs and scrapes, and this is a question on the quiz actually, is like when is that stuff made? You know, like right. how old is it? Is it hours or days or weeks old? As far as rubs and scrapes and tracks even, um, and really reading that sign and being honest with yourself as to do you really know how fresh this is? Um, that in your case, you're, this, this is the bedding area here. If it's obvious, you know, really thick, was it a swamp you said? Yeah. And there was some was soft ground, some water around it and it, and it kind of had that particular spot had kind of crusted up and froze up probably overnight. And when I was in there that morning, um, the, the tracks were pretty fresh, broken up on, you know, some of the crunchy stuff and so it it just appeared that that morning or even you know maybe before daylight he had gone back into that that bedding area um so it's again yeah reading sign and saying this is fresh or was a scrape or rub made you know two months ago you know so and that's that's not always easy to determine either so no but when you do your your odds go I mean, it's never 100%, but they go way, way up because you know that buck, unless someone blew it out of there, has to be very close embedded. Unless it's the middle of the rut. I don't know what time of year it was. It was the rut, yeah, yeah. But this instance, I I could see my truck from my tree stand. It was close. It was 100 100 yards, maybe at the most. Yeah, yeah. but there's only so many places they can be if you find that really fresh sign. Yeah. Um, and that is when you're in the game, and that's when you should stop scouting. And it's really gaining the experience and wisdom to know when it is to, to stop scouting and start hunting uh, for sure. So let's, let's go to another hunt real quick here. Um, so that was a story of the fail, which really wasn't a fail, but it was a <laughs> pers- persistence over a long amount of time, right? You had to go through a lot with an outfitter to get to shooting this buck, the Iowa one we're talking about here. Um, is there one where we just talk about the Wisconsin one, so uh, doing way more scouting than hunting, mm-hmm. which is a huge, that's a mental thing. That That's a self-discipline thing. Yeah. Uh, because, again, everybody wants to hunt. And like, I didn't take, you know, five days off work to not hunt or a week or whatever. But when you really realize that your odds go way up when you hunt more or scout more and hunt less, uh, those first sit hunts become when you shoot those bucks a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there another story, like a success story that you can throw in there? You, we talked about last year, you went to Kansas and you had a lot of good encounters with uh bucks and i also went to kansas and i had uh not so many good encounters <laughs> you went at a different time of year though <laughs> I, I did but it was a very challenging so uh maybe tell us a little bit about that what uh went into that hunt and you're able to be so successful as far as just seeing bucks and i think you said you saw a really big like a 180 incher i did uh, and being yeah. successful uh, when there was a ton of guys around, again, like this high pressure situation, yeah. and a lot of guys, I will say, if you go, <laughs> Kansas has become a kind of a, a hot spot now as far as hunting. Well, definitely hunting, but uh, a lot of the Kansas hunters are 
really pushing back about the amount of out-of-staters, you know, like they, sure. they're not liking yeah. it because it's changed a lot. And so ultra high pressure. So how did you see all those deer and were successful in that situation? Um, last year again was one of those years I made a, a drastic change about halfway through um, hunting. I, I started off in an area um, where I'd actually killed a buck before and was seeing some good deer. Um, maybe not the numbers that I, I typically see, but I was seeing deer regularly. Um, and, and, and probably saw one of the biggest, um, busted up half racks I'd ever seen. Um, um, and, and that was interesting because I, this particular area, um, I probably over the half of the deer I saw were broken up and I don't know exactly what to contribute to if it was some of the drought that was going on last year or if there were a couple just giants in the area that were breaking up all these deer but I I saw more broken up deer in that area than I ever have I was still seeing good ones Um, but I got about five days in and I just didn't feel like I was gonna I was gonna be successful on the spot I had been in the past so um, I actually packed up my truck and drove three hours to an area that I'd never hunted before. Um, again, e-scouting, um, I had this place on my radar, um, but never scouted it. But I, I just, again, was like, man, I got to check this spot out. Um, you know, and, and I actually had maybe seven or eight other pieces of property marked in that area that I wanted to walk. And I knew I had five days left, so I knew I, I, I did have enough time to do it. Um, I walked all eight properties, um, but I ended up going into, to one property, um, and probably, um, I set up actually in an old stand that I found. You, you see those a lot. This happened to be an old ladder stand. Um, I was, I was in the, an old ladder stand and the first minute of daylight, I see, a. 170, 180 inch deer, probably one of the biggest deer I've seen on, on the hoof, um, was with a doe. And, um, again, it was a drastic change that, you know, put me on that deer again, halfway through my hunt, new property, um, about half hour later, I, I did see a buck that I normally would have taken on public land. Um, but I couldn't bring myself to shoot him after that deer before that. It, it, it was a deer I would have been very happy with, um, typically. Um, and that's another thing about hunting public land. You don't have the intel of what deer are there. You don't have trail cam pictures. You don't watch them in the summer. So, you know, you got to have realistic expectations when you go into these spots that, hey, I might not shoot a 160. I have no idea what's there. So getting that intel the first couple minutes, I'm like, holy cow, I've got some intel. I'm not going to shoot this other deer that I normally would shoot because I know this one's here. So it was a drastic change. I ended up sticking it out. Um, I saw that buck um, that morning, and then I saw him two days later. I almost killed him um, on, the, on the Wednesday, which was two days after I saw him. Um, I only had one, maybe at this point, maybe two days left. 
Um, I didn't end up killing that deer. I saw him twice, had two really good encounters with him. Um, I did shoot a good one on my last day, but he wasn't the one I was after. <laughs> I hope he's there this fall and I hope I draw another permit. <laughs> but again, it was again, persistency and, and willing to make that drastic change. I picked up, moved everything from a spot that I knew pretty well to a brand new area three hour drive away and and again it worked out for me so yeah it's very easy to get comfortable yeah uh, and and rationalize why you won't move or right. won't do this or that uh is you know it gets it gets tougher and it turns into a grind so as we wrap up here are some important high iq takeaways and challenges first analyze how you determine when and where to hunt and take it up a notch this year actually document this and figure out the percentage of time you spend scouting versus hunting. It should be more time scouting than hunting. Second, read the article Ultra Efficient Deer Hunting to dig deeper into how to use data to know exactly when and where to hunt. It's linked below. And we'll see you next time as we continue to look at new approaches for pressured public land hunting. You won't want to miss it and I'll see you then.